Welcome to Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and coming to me via Skype for hopefully the last time is Roy. What day is it? Is it Wednesday? Is it April? Is it June yet? I don't know. God, it's it's just, it's they're all running together. They're really all running I, together. I feel like Sonny and Cher should be playing out of my, my, my alarm clock when I wake up in the morning. I, I don't even own an alarm <laughs> clock anymore. Ground, Groundhog, <laughs> Groundhog Day. Dave. Uh, I just watched something on share the other day. I, the, so the beat goes on, came into my head. Not the, um, you say I love, can't pay the rent. And that's the, I think it's a song is playing on that. Yeah. Friars on the farm karaoke hour. All right, right here we go. <laughs> yeah. So there has been a little bit of news and it's been unfortunate. I mean, it's like all the news that we get about baseball is just not the news we want to hear. No. So the thing that it's been in my mind lately, there was an article that JJ Cooper came out with a while ago, right? earlier this week or last week. Uh, I don't even remember what day it is, but anyway, what I wound up pulling away from this article was the notion that minor league organizations are at their lowest value. They're hurting and there's an opportunity for major league baseball to swoop in and say, Hey, look, looks like you're about to go bankrupt. So how about you let us buy 51% ownership in your team and we'll put some funds in and make it solvent again. It's an opportunity for major league baseball to come in and really take over ownership of a bunch of minor league franchises. Right. Well, and a lot of those minor league teams are, and I got from the article is they're, they're canvassing their organization. They're like, hey, can you help us? And, you know, they want to get on the list. They don't want to be put on that list. And if they get affiliation with the with the major league team, I think that they think that's going to help their chances. And right, but the the affiliation, who knows how that's going to work because right. everything's being restructured. I mean, we're we're going to talk to Sam Levitt of the uh, the the Double A Amarillo Sod Poodles. That's a brand new facility. But what's to say that they're not going to go down to like some low single A new league that they're going to there's right. going to be like some new right. West Texas. You, who knows what's going to happen? Are really what we were talking about some of the nicer fields like Parkview Field in, in Fort Wayne becoming a double A team because that is a very, very nice facility and can right. easily that's, be. And that screws with our that screws with the relationship that the Padres have with affiliations. And I know other organizations have great partnerships and relationships with their affiliates and there's a reason you know yeah well and they're Padres fans in El Paso and in Fort Wayne and now in Amarillo and you'd never have a Padres fan there if it wasn't for the the relationship with the minor league ball club that they have but I guess to from major league baseball's eyes that doesn't matter because whoever whatever team you put there they're going to follow that I, I I don't know it's and then on top of that, today we're starting to hear that the A's are no longer going to pay their minor leaguers after the end of the month. Yeah. And it's, man, it's like just one door is getting shut after another. And it's all this foreboding negative stuff. It, <sighs> it's pretty desperate. And it just gets worse with what's going on. There's no revenue. A lot of these teams, and we say this almost every episode, is a lot of these teams need the tickets. They need season. They need people, need butts in the seats. They need mm-hmm. concessions to even break even. And yeah. so that's going to further weaken the value of these organizations and these affiliates and these companies. And it's just not going to be good. And, and it, you know, this is where my, the big brother should really help the younger brother thing step in and not maybe take ownership, but just like here, this is my affiliate needs help. My players where they play, it's an investment in the future. So why not yeah. help some of these? But it, I know it doesn't, I have, that's that's not the way that Major League Baseball seems to, to be operating. I, right. Yeah, that's the that's the right thing to do, but 
unfortunately, the people in the commissioner's office don't seem to look at it that way. They're looking at the bottom line and and profit margins and cash flow and short term stuff. They're not looking at what do we need to do to build the brand for the next generation to ensure that the next generation of baseball will still be successful. It's they're 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 grabbing every nickel they can get right now. So, I mean, I, I get it, but man, it's, it's just a tough pill to swallow, you know, and also this kind of jockey eating that minor league affiliates are doing isn't legal and major league baseball kind of seems to be like turning a blind eye because it's kind well, of in their favor. So yeah, the unknown- I, I, in, in that article, he did say that the person that he was talking to said that he hadn't heard of any, cause they're really careful about that. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's a narrow line that they have to tread to make sure that they're not, you know, breaking some rule about. Uh, I, yeah, there's a lot of legalese. There's a reason why all of these all these businesses have a whole bunch of lawyers in their in their boardrooms. Yeah, absolutely. So that's about all we got. We have a great interview with Sam. It's <laughs> so good. It is so long, so long overdue for him to come on the podcast. Uh, we talked to him for over an hour. It's really its really our own fault because I don't think we just ever knocked on the door and asked and said, hey, because yeah. he's totally super nice guy, totally willing to talk. To, and probably would have talked to us for another hour if we wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you guys are going to enjoy that. So sit back and check that out. I got you, babe. I got you, babe. Hi, I'm Dr. Travis Ehlers, and I'm a certified chiropractic sports physician. Been in practice for 14 years, and I'm located at Oasis MD in Mira Mesa. I see patients anywhere from the weekend warrior to professional athletes, all the way to kids, pregnant women, basically anyone that has musculoskeletal conditions. So if you want any more information or would like to uh, see a chiropractor, you can locate me at 844 844- Six two seven four seven six three. That's my office number. Otherwise, you can get more information on my website www.drtravisehealers.com. Otherwise, um, I have social media: Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So just uh, look up my name, Doctor Travis Healers. I got you. This April and much better than last year. It's such a shame we're not playing. Honestly, it's uh, all right. So Donovan yeah. usually has a little like a little spiel like intro that I, he reads. Okay. I didn't do and anything. Then, oh, okay. No, so here we go. I didn't really. <laughs> Three, two, one. Well, hey, we're joined here with Amarillo's Sam Levitt. God, Sam, it's been so long. It's long overdue. Um, we first met actually. Two years ago, in, in our first spring training, my, mine and Roy's first spring training kind of together, and I kind of followed you, I'm like, hey, where are fires on the farm? And you're like, oh, good. So welcome, finally, Sam. <laughs> I do remember meeting you in Peoria. It wasn't quite two years ago. It was a little over a year ago in, uh, in March of, of 2019. And I do remember, to be perfectly honest, at the time being like, and I was brand new. Right. You were Padre system. <laughs> I was just getting started down there. And, and I remember kind of thinking to myself, who, who is this guy? And I don't know what Friars on the farm is, but <laughs> I, I, I came to learn, which is good. <laughs> well, I appreciate you not macing me and kind of just putting up with me. Like I was, I was excited. We were excited. 
And uh, well, he was afraid he'd get fired if he said anything wrong to you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Um, how you doing? I'm doing well, all things considered. It's a, a difficult time, obviously, for everybody uh, in our community here in Amarillo and around the country. Uh, but I'm doing well. You know, I've been lucky that I've had plenty of work to do for the team. We're doing these live shows a couple of times per week, doing our radio replays. So all that stuff has kept me busy, and I'm doing some other work uh, for some other places that I that I do work for during basketball season and the baseball offseason with, with that very different side of what I do. So I've, I've been pretty busy. Um, I'm healthy. I'm safe. Uh, you know, I've got my apartment here in Amarillo, and um, I've been fortunate to have my own space. And you know, in Texas and, and certainly in a, in a smaller city like Amarillo, I think it's been a little bit more open generally from the get go, which has been okay. which has been nice and, and has made a difference. So it's it's been good, you know, especially now. I mean, things are opening up a little bit more. Um, you know, I can go to the ballpark and run around there a little bit and enjoy the weather. The weather has been terrific. So, you know, I, I really can't complain, especially, you know, I, I'm a New York guy at heart. Uh, my family, many of my friends are in New York, and it's been obviously a, a difficult experience for everybody there. So I'm, I'm just super thankful to be safe, healthy, uh, making a little bit of money. And, uh, you know, I, I can't I can't say more than that in, in a time like this. So you grew up in New York. Grew up in New York. Uh, grew up on Long Island, right outside of Queens. I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, grew up in the five towns area on Long Island. I uh, went to Hewlett High School. Big Mets fan growing up. I would go to Shea Stadium by myself in high school and, and listen to the radio and have a, a little earbud in. But grew up in New York, and uh, and everybody pretty much is still there. All my friends from home growing up, uh, my parents, uh, much of my family. My brother lives in L.A., so he's also uh, kind of left the nest there in New York. But, but yeah, it's uh, I'm a New Yorker at heart. Always will be. <laughs> You know, you said something that that brings back a memory. You talked about going to the going to the games with a thing in your ear. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting there in the stands, listening to the game, watching the game. And then Jerry Coleman and Ted Leitner and those guys, they'd say something funny. And you'd see the people around you kind of laughing. And it's like this inside joke that everybody's got because they're listening to it in their ears. It's that isn't a thing that people do anymore. Yeah, well, you know, I I started doing it in high school i had a little transistor radio that i would bring and i actually have i i still have them actually you know what i take that back i actually gave them to a sod poodles fan named andrew last year i used to have those headphones that have the radio kind of built in yeah and yeah you can turn the dials as you go <laughs> and i gave that actually i gave that headset to a sod poodles fan last year because last year i mean we had i'm not kidding dozens of people listening at the ballpark during the game. And I would get messages about where can I get a radio? And, and you can get one at Best Buy. You can still get the little transistor radios or simply order it from Amazon or, or whatever. But I did have a couple with me and he, he messaged me and I was so into just having people listen at the game. I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to use this for the summer. You want it? And, and he took it. I never got it back. And that was Dude. fine because I, I figured if, if things were going on as, as usual right now, he'd be listening again. But yeah, I used to I used to do that in high school, and I still do it when I go to games. Um, you know, guys, I, I have a pretty interesting story. I was not somebody who was with the toy microphone at ten years old and was, knew it's yeah. something they wanted to do from the time they were a little kid. You know, I went to college; I was pre med. Um, wow! So it, it took me a while to realize it, but now that I think back on it, 
and my background and like doing that stuff in high school and the way I would always listen to games. And, you know, I was really into WFAN in New York and the way I would, I would listen to the radio. Now it all kind of makes sense, but it, it took about 20 years or so of my life to, to really realize uh, what I wanted to do and, and kind of discover that passion in a way, in, in a real sense. Now you've been working in broadcasting for a while now, right? What was your, what was your break into that? So, you know, when I, when I got to Northwestern, I was pre-med. I was in the College of Arts and Sciences. I was not in the big journalism school at Northwestern, Medill. And I joined the student radio station. Actually, I was telling somebody the story about this uh, about a week ago. And I actually tried out for the club baseball team at Northwestern my freshman year. I played baseball in high school. I was okay. I was a very, I was a very good defensive outfielder, but I was never at any point in my baseball life, a very good hitter. And I tried out for the club baseball team. I didn't make it. So then it left me searching early in freshman year for things to do, for things to get involved in. And I ended up joining the student radio station because I had an interest in it. And like I said, I always had that radio interest. And I had done the student newspaper in high school. And I started doing games there. I started hosting shows there. And and like a lot of us do, caught the bug and you know, even that summer after freshman year, I was doing a, a medical internship at Mount Sinai in Manhattan and, you know, just kind of realized throughout that year that it, it, it wasn't for me. It, it wasn't what I wanted to do. I should also say I was an EMT in high school. Uh, so I worked for a volunteer ambulance company. I worked at City Field where the Mets play yeah. on a volunteer basis and, and was part of the medical staff there. So that was a real thing, the pre-med stuff. Um but it took me a while to realize that I, I didn't really have the passion for it that I think is required to go to medical school and, and do all that. And I got involved with the student radio station a year later, transferred into the School of Journalism at Northwestern. And, and from that point, it really took off. And then I, you know, from that point, I've done baseball every summer since my sophomore, since after my sophomore year. So two years on Cape Cod, three years in Indy Ball in the Frontier League with the Gateway Grizzlies. Two years with the Hooks in Corpus Christi uh, with the Astros organization, and last year in Amarillo, and uh, that's pretty much the story. So I got to tell you, my wife was born in Brooklyn, raised in Port Washington, Long Island. Uh, grew up a Mets fan, so uh, mm-hmm. you're welcome in our home anytime. Um, you're welcome here, and uh, my wife can name two lineups. She can name the starting lineup of the 1969 Miracle Mets and the 1986 Mets. <laughs> she can name both. Well, those. <laughs> and get this, so so fun. <laughs> Fun story. Uh, my parents, um, they got married in 1985. They had season tickets with a few people in 1986. They were not at game six of the World Series. They were at game seven when they won. Uh, so they, were, you know, everybody, everybody, a lot of common baseball fans think that the Mets won the World Series on the Bill Buckner play. Right. But they did not. No. They only won game six to force a game seven. So my parents weren't at game six, but they were at game seven. And uh, saw them saw them win the World Series, and I, you know, I don't know what that's like as a Mets fan growing up watching your team win the World Series. So, uh, in that sense, I'm still waiting. That's fantastic. I've been to City Field; it's a nice ballpark, and we do we make it back there. Now, she has a brother in Manhasset, and most of the family's up in Connecticut. So, we'll fly mm-hmm. into New York, and then we'll drive from New York over to Connecticut. But we, uh, you know, when we were first uh, married, we were going out there, going to City Field, hanging out in. Up, driving up to Rochester, outside of Rochester, where uh, her parents live. Mm-hmm. And um, now her brother lives uh, in Hartford. So we were going to make it out there this summer and see her yard goats game. Yeah. Um, but that didn't happen. So so then so 
So we talked to Joey Zanaboni earlier this year, and he uh, he said that he worked independent ball with you. Yeah, Joey was, I think he was at least with River City one year. I think he was actually with Rockford. So I worked for the Gateway Grizzlies from 2014 to 2016. I believe in 2015 he was with Rockford, and in 2016 he was with River City. Both those teams are no longer Frontier League teams, which is sad. Um, and that league has totally changed uh, because they, they joined forces with the Can-Am League. And this was supposed to be their first year of that joint league. Um, you know, and, and I don't know exactly the reasons behind that decision. And, and, but I assume they were for you know, positive reasons and, and things they needed to do for both leagues. But I, you know, I, had a, I had a great experience in Indie Ball. Um, I worked for a great team. The Gateway Grizzlies, it's a super interesting place and team because the ballpark is about 10 minutes from Bush Stadium on the other side of the Mississippi on the Illinois side. Um, it is Cardinals country. The park is beautiful. The fans are great. The baseball is good. And we were on the radio in the St. Louis market. And, and I had an interesting first few years out of college because I didn't have to go to a really small town somewhere. I was living in St. Louis and I was doing the Grizzlies. Uh, I was the number number two guy my first year out of college. And then I was the number one guy there on the radio in 15 and 16. And then I started doing division one basketball on the radio at SIUE, uh, which is about a half hour away from St. Louis. So it was a good situation because I was young. I was getting plenty of reps. I was busy and I, I got to live in some pretty cool areas and, and hip areas of St. Louis which was a, a cool experience. And I had a wonderful time there. And, and indie ball is, you know, I think it's a different experience in affiliated ball now that I've spent a few years on both sides of it, but it was wonderful. And I, I had an excellent time there in, in a lot of ways. Are they a little more free? So can uh, of give me a little more on your independent ball? I've, yeah. We only know it from, you know, we're here on the West coast. There's no independent ball here. It's either affiliate or rec ball. You know? <laughs> um, are, are the games a little more freer? Are in-between innings a little more fun? Um, is there a little more funking around with maybe the lineup? Or is it just, I mean, is it serious baseball? Obviously, it's serious baseball. But, I mean, is it a little bit looser atmosphere, even more so than minor league baseball? I would say from the organizational side, and you guys know minor league baseball. I know you go to a lot of Lake Elsinore games and have been to a lot of Padres affiliates. From the organizational side, as far as tickets, promotions, things like that, I would say there's very minimal difference. I mean, the goal is the same. Sell tickets, sell sponsorships, and make it an affordable, family-friendly experience at the ballpark. They do all the same wacky promotions. We have all the same fireworks. From that sense, at least with the Grizzlies in St. Louis, it was really, really similar. You know, the only difference is when I got to A, the ballpark's a little bit bigger. The crowds are generally bigger. But aside from that, and the front offices are bigger, too, as far as the number of salespeople and, and that kind of stuff. But from that side of things, the goals and the way it operates is, is really similar. The baseball side is, is what is totally different. Um, you know, you, you guys know and your listeners know really how affiliated ball works. In independent baseball, the manager of the team is the GM. He makes the signings. He makes the trades. He releases. There's a lot of signing midseason, releasing players who aren't performing, you know, they're in the Frontier League tends to be a, a younger league, guys that are out of college or maybe played a few years in affiliated ball and get, get released or whatever it might be. The American Association, the Atlantic League tend to be a little bit older. 
Um, and that's why you see sometimes, especially in the Atlantic League, former big league guys in the Frontier League, it was very, very rare to see a former big leaguer because the I forget where the age cutoff was, but the age cutoff was 27 or 28. And then there was one exception rule per team where you could maybe have a player above that age. So it was a relatively young league. And, and it's just totally different. I mean, it's it's basically each team individually through their manager runs runs the player side. Wow. You know, and, and they have a, a quote unquote spring training where they may invite 40 players out to their ballpark, wherever it might be. And you could have a mix of guys that have played for that team for three, four years and a bunch of new guys that are fresh out of college or whatever it might be. And they'll release and they'll sign and they'll make trades. And that can be a really, really ongoing process throughout the course of a season. So, you know, it's a it's a much different baseball side of things. And and that's what that's where the, the difference really lies. It's just a you know, there is no major league organization above the whole thing. There is no system. It's literally like a like a mini major league team just making moves and signings and playing who they want to play and um, nothing bad about it but it was just a, a different side of uh, of minor league baseball in a sense mixed in with a little bit of Brockmeyer right <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and and I will say too because because there's more freedom on the player side and because that manager is really the manager the GM all in one, yes, there is no directive from anywhere on what you need to do with a player. That And that is a big difference because, you know, as you guys know, you know, the managers in the minor leagues in 2020, they do make certain decisions, but there are a lot of directives that come from the major league farm system. And, and rightfully so, it's their players. And from a development standpoint, um, you know, in, in indie ball, it's just not like that. Like, the manager, if he decides a guy's struggling and he wants to drop him down to eighth in the lineup or not play him anymore or whatever it might be or release him, he can do it. He can he can pretty much do whatever he wants. So that side is is pretty unique, uh, interesting, and, and pretty different. So now I've got a million questions and I don't want to take up all the time. But like, so how how do they go about like recruiting new players or scouting or or anything like that? Yeah. So uh, a multitude of ways. So on the affiliated ball side. You know, guys have managers have certain connections uh, within organizations and affiliated ball. And they will literally, you know, especially around spring training, around different points of the season, around the draft, literally look at the wires of who is, you know, who is being released. Um, and, and agents look a lot of these guys have agents at all different levels. A guy gets released. Agents get in touch with different independent ball teams. I mean, we had we had a couple of guys released uh, from Amarillo last year, and I know a, a couple went on and played an independent ball in, in different places. Uh, so that's one place. And then, you know, that there's agents, guys coming out of school. They're in contact with, you know, guys reach out, you know, and, and to the managers or there's open tryouts at different points of the season where open tryouts, it's not like just somebody's walking in off the street to try out, but they may say, hey, the Grizzlies are having an open tryout the morning of June 1st and make that public. And you may get 50 players, which might be a mix of guys that have been in affiliated ball or or at a college or have been in different independent leagues who will come and hit BP and take defensive drills and throw bullpens. So they, they find them in a multitude of ways and it's the baseball is good guys. I mean, I would never discount, 
independent baseball or, or want to make it sound like it's some sort of joke. I mean, you're dealing with guys that have played high levels of affiliated yeah. ball, high levels of college baseball, big time conferences that don't get drafted, don't get signed for any reason. I mean, we would see players in independent ball who you you would just see immediately, wow, this guy shouldn't be here. He should be, you know, somewhere else right. and at a higher level. And there, you know, I I personally became just ironically really good friends with one of the best stories to come out of the Frontier League pretty much ever, this, this right-hander Trevor Richards who went to this really small D2 school Drury in Missouri and ends up playing for the Grizzlies in St. Louis because he's from about 40 minutes away. And uh, we were in, Ro uh, not Rockford, we were in uh, Evansville, Indiana, the Evansville Otters, Bossy Field, where they filmed, uh, 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 oh my, I'm blanking on the name of the movie, the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, <laughs> the oh, really? Oh, movie. League of Your Own. League of Your Own. I was thinking, I kept thinking Rockford, uh, I kept thinking, not Rockford. Rockford Peaches. Thinking, uh, yes, Rockford Peaches. And <laughs> I can't remember the name. Uh, so that's where they filmed the movie, one of the oldest professional baseball stadiums in America, not really part of the story, but. A Marlin scout comes to our game there against the Evansville Otters looking at other players. Trevor Richards is not even on his, his radar, and Trevor ends up, he'd had a great season and was doing well. Great kid, had this just unbelievable changeup that even before any of this happened, guys were saying, man, he's got a big league changeup, like legit. Like, how is he here? He was one of those guys. And Trevor just happened to be pitching that night. That scout was there, gets noticed, gets signed. And within a couple of years, he's in the big leagues. He's now with the Rays. He's had cups of coffee here and there. And, uh, you know, that doesn't happen very often out of the Frontier League. And, and we've kept in touch. We met up in spring training a couple of years ago in Florida and, and had dinner. Um, you know, just a great story. So there, there's some real talent down there. And uh, it's it's really really good baseball and and you know you guys know how it is getting to know some of these guys you get to know them and then you start pulling for them and I had a lot of experiences like that where when guys got signed by big league teams and and sent into affiliated ball from indie ball I mean you're you're keeping up with what they do and you're really hoping they can uh, they can make that long trek to the big leagues and and Trevor just happened to be somebody I became uh, really friendly with and close with and. Um, and he did it. So it's a pretty cool story. So last year, my wife and I joined the booster club at Lake Elsinore and it was the end of the season. We were sitting there in the stands. We we're hanging out with some of the, the host families. Um, and a bunch of them were watching their phone. River Stevens was a player who made it up to double a mm -hmm. in San Antonio. I don't think he, no, he was released in 2018. Um, but he was with St. Paul Saints, and it was their playoff. It was their championship game, and they were watching him in that. And it was like they were watching their own son mm -hmm. play. And so you, you, like you're saying about you get these relationships with these players, and you start to follow them and hope to see them come back. Yeah, and and that's really with any of the players. I mean, even the guys in Amarillo, or, or I've talked about it before. Some of the guys that you will not find on top prospect lists and in top thirty lists and on Baseball America. Guys that you know very well, um, thinking of some names, a David Bednar. How about right. that for an example? A Lake Bakker, another great example from last year. Guys who at the start of 2019, and Bednar is obviously a different example because of what he did and then go to the big leagues, but guys who are not on everybody's radar, who play really well, who are really good guys, and you do end up getting an emotional attachment to those guys and, and you start pulling for them. And, and I think in a greater sense,
with guys like that, whether it's an indie ball or whether it's in rookie ball or, or whatever, whatever level it might be, you start rooting for them and you hope that someone notices because in a lot of these cases, you're watching them every single day and you're seeing what they do. And, and that's just not the case for a lot of evaluators and people who make those decisions. I mean, that's reality, but you, uh, you know, you get to see him every day and, and you start just hoping, hey, you know, I hope somebody notices what David Bednar is doing down here. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully they did. Uh, but that doesn't always happen, as you guys know. Um, there are a lot of guys who have really great minor league careers who never get that opportunity. So when somebody of that elk does, it, it really is a, a special thing. You know, that really reminds us of uh, last year we interviewed uh, Nick Margavichus mm-hmm. and he had he he played the one game playoff game that it was a must win. He won, he made it there. He made one double A start. We had him on the podcast. This you know spring training starts. Oh wow, look he's you know he's with the big league club. Starts every start. He is he is performing. That right. curveball is nasty. Um, a couple of the other prospects that the Padres, um, Cal Quantrill and Logan Allen, were struggling. So he made the, the, the team out of spring training, and just that's out of nowhere. I mean, he had one start in double-A. All the other starts were in high-A and below. And just a look of the draw, and however, and he started the team with the major leagues. And now, you know, the, since it's been traded, but you're right. It, you just pull for these guys, and they come out of nowhere, and you're like, like holy cow. Steven Wilson, we had him on, and mm-hmm. he was going to be our shuttle guy this year. Like, he was going to be... If he doesn't make the bullpen out of spring training, he will certainly be the shuttle guy that they bring up and down. So I want to move on to when you had – so you're an independent ball. What made you make that jump? Or what made you really feel that you wanted to do this for a living, that you wanted to move on and get into a, an organization? It, it was interesting. So, you know, from the time I started really committing myself to broadcasting, and I would say, again, that's probably somewhere after my freshman year of college – yeah, you know, I've been all in. I mean, I did two summers in the Cape Cod League, which if you guys have never been out there, I would recommend you go. You would love it. Um, they're not playing this year, but hopefully in 2021, uh, you guys would love it. I, I know it's far away from uh, San Diego. <laughs> I got connections I, I in Connecticut, so. Yes, I'm serious. You guys would love it. It's it's magical. The talent's amazing and the atmosphere and it's everything. Honestly, like summer catch. I mean, some of the stories and plot lines, forget them, but that kind of aura vibe it actually I, i've always felt like captures it pretty well it's 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 a remarkable environment and place for baseball uh, that's a, a side story but you know I've, I've always been all in um on this being something i want to do um as a career serious about it want to be great at it whether that's doing baseball or the other sports i do whether it's the radio stuff i do the tv stuff i do and you guys know i do a lot of content and hosting and and do a lot of of different elements in, in that realm. Uh, anything I do, I, I want to be really, really good at it. And, you know, this has been an amazing journey. Um, you know, being with different teams, living in different places, it's been really beautiful in a lot of ways. And you know, my plan is to be in Amarillo for the foreseeable future and do many more seasons here. You know, I'm never shy of saying that my ultimate goal is to get to the big leagues yeah. and do this at the big league level. As it should be, as it should be, you know, if, if that wasn't my ultimate goal, then I think I would have to kind of reexamine my priorities. I mean, that, that's always been the goal, right. you know, however long that however, however long that takes and, and however I have to get there. And that's the unpredictable part. Um, 
but let's I'm I'm kind of rambling. I'll go back to the <laughs> indie ball to, to affiliated ball. You, you can you can get me going. Yeah, I love so, it. We love it. So dude. so I get to the Grizzlies, the Frontier League team in 2014. By luck of the draw, I get there as the number two guy. There was a guy named Adam Young who hired me there, who had been there for a few years. He ends up leaving for another job midsummer. I take over for him. I did not expect I was going to stay in St. Louis for two, three years, but you know, like like it does with so many industries, that's how it ended up happening. And I take over for him in 2015, do the 2016 season. And at the end of the 2016 season, you know, I think in this business, because it's so unpredictable and because it's so challenging, I think you have to have those moments where you know that you have to leap without necessarily knowing how and where you're going to land. So I actually left St. Louis and went back to New York for a couple of months to just kind of reset because I just felt like what I was doing in St. Louis, I'd, I'd kind of tapped out, you know, and, and you know, got everything I could out of that Grizzlies job, got everything I could out of the SIUE basketball job and everything I was doing in St. Louis and went home and, you know, the, the Corpus Christi job, it was just a posting. It wasn't anything fancy. I didn't have any great connection. But it seemed like if I was going to take a number two broadcast position with an affiliated team, like that was the one to take based on the description, who I'd be working for. And, you know, the the funny thing about these jobs is, is A, you never really know what you're getting into. And B, you know, I had never been to Corpus Christi, Texas. I had never been anywhere close. But you take the leap of faith and you go. And it ended up being one of the best decisions I've ever made. I had a a wonderful experience there. And, and I felt like that jump to affiliated ball was really something I needed to do and kind of check it off my resume to keep on, to keep on moving and, right. and kind of create an upward trajectory on the baseball side. And I did, and there's no way I, I come and get this Amarillo job without making that move to Corpus and spending two seasons there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing when you talk about that jump. I, I just, I felt like it was time for me to take that leap. And I luckily when I've had those moments, I had the same moment when I went from Corpus Christi and decided I was going to go to Amarillo and also start living in Chicago during the fall and winter and recreating the TV side of things from there. Um, But I I think it's important. And I said this the other day on, on this big zoom panel that I was doing, I think it's important in this business like in many businesses, to know when you have those moments and not be afraid to take that leap. And luckily, when I've had those moments, it's all kind of worked out in a way. So uh, I'm really fortunate for that. So you never had to go the do the whole career fair route, did you? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> nothing ever. <laughs> Pebo. So I, I did. I did go to the winter meetings a couple of times. I actually went in San Diego. Um, that was 20, not this past year. Yeah, five so, years ago. Uh, I don't, yeah, whatever year that was. was five I years think ago. I was, yeah, I think I was. 15, we're I, going into 16. Yeah, I think 15, yes, 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 because I was out of college by then, yeah. So I went in 15 and 16 to San Diego and Nashville. Um, you know, I had a good experience. I mean, you know, I didn't get anything out of the job fair. I mean, on the, you know, people don't realize it's this enormous, I mean, you guys have been, it's this we enormous <laughs> room. Most, most of the jobs are not broadcasting jobs. Um, and you know, there's maybe a, a small handful of broadcasting jobs, which depending on where you're at in your career, you might be interested in, you might not. So 
I think the winter meetings are a great thing for young broadcasters. Forget the job fair, but just to not and, and not even to meet, you know, high level people or try to get a word in with Ken Rosenthal at some point, but to just meet other people in your age group that are also either coming out of college or in college or rising in the minor leagues, because those relationships are important. I mean, there are people that I met there that I've never seen since that I text all the time yeah. that are at double A, that are at triple A, that, that are at different places in their career. And, you know, it's a business and people talk and, and generally like any business, having relationships and knowing people and having people know who you are can be really helpful. So that's what I always say to people who ask me like about, about the job fair and the winter meetings is number one, it's just really good to go to and like make friends, yeah. you know, in the broadcast sense. But also I don't think people realize always it's a really cool thing. Like people don't always realize how open it is. And you will, if you sit in that lobby or you sit in the, in the grand old Opry, uh, I don't, is that something in it? Is it? Uh, well, that was <laughs> the, back uh, yeah, at the yeah. Lyman. Do they have it at the yes, Ryman? Did the they Astros. have it at the Ryman theater? They had the Peebo well, at the Ryman. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying it wrong. Not the grand old Opry. The, uh, I don't remember it, you know, the big Nashville hotel, but, um, but the, uh, you know, you can just sit in that lobby yeah. and like, you may see like all kinds of people walk by and they have the, all the sets in the, you know, kind of the radio row of the winter meetings. Uh, so that's a cool experience, but I, so I kind of did, I kind of didn't, I did go for a couple of years. I didn't really get serious about any of the jobs there or anything like that, but it, it's a cool experience. And, and, uh, you know, I thought about going this year, even not. You know, not that I'm I'm at the point now where anything that's there is not anything I'd I'd ever right, right. really be interested in. But but for, from a networking perspective and just meeting people, catching up and having fun, I think it's a, a really, really great, great thing to do for, for anybody that works in baseball. Absolutely. So I spent a lot of time at the Peebo um during this last winter meetings and one of the guys that works for the storm, I is you I'm blanking his name, Roy. Works, I don't know who you're talking works about. Works for right the now. storm. Dominic? Uh, Dominic. So Dominic uh, Dominic uh, Lorenz was um, works for the worked for the Storm. Went through the people trying to get a broadcast job, trying to get a number two spot. But he sat with people that were from the Quakes, and uh, that they worked together. And this other person was another person in their league that worked in another place. That you know, it's the connections. You're right. It's so much about the connections and relationships that you build in minor league baseball. In just in general, that can lead to so much more the, the woman that was there i mean i stayed there for the most of the most of the talks she's like i'm working with a guy that i met eight years ago in this thing and now he's my boss oh, we need we need to talk to her we need to reach out to her <laughs> okay. you've got you still have her card we need to find her i do i have that it. lady it's, was awesome um <laughs> you, you know but and you never know when those relationships being a good person creating those moments with people that they'll go oh yeah you were at the winter meetings in san diego hey what are you doing well come to find out i'm looking for a job or whatever so that's that's fantastic what a track oh, hey, hey donovan yeah uh tell him about what happened when you tried to get a word in with ken Re rosenthal oh well i didn't do it right i didn't you know uh, um john Heyman was nice uh i got him to talk to me but i just he walked by i'm like hey uh, hey, Ken, uh, is it possible that I can get your information so I can have you come on my podcast? And he kind of looked at my card and looked at me and goes, I can't do that. <laughs> so you haven't <laughs> lived. So you haven't lived until you said, been well, told no. I, uh, so, I, so, yeah, so I, I, Ken's a great guy. I actually know Ken uh, a little bit. Um, we, we've met a couple times and, and have, 
and I've talked a bit and uh, he's a good guy. You know, I, he's a really, really good guy and a yeah. fantastic reporter. Um, and it's kind of, he's even, you know, kind of helped me connect with some, some other broadcasters and, and been helpful. And I've been lucky in that sense too, whether it's a Ken Rosenthal or a, or a Len Casper or a Brian Anderson, or, or certainly Padres as well. Jesse Agler has become a, a really, you know, a, a friend now yeah. and somebody who's helped me, helped me in, in a lot of ways and given me a lot of really good guidance um, and there are a uh, Glenn Geffner, who I'm really close with, one of the Marlins uh, radio broadcasters. I mean, there there are a number of you know people like that, from Ken Rosenthal to, to Brian Anderson to Jesse um, to others who you know it's just good to have those people in your corner. It's good to talk to those people because they give you certain perspective that only they can give from working on that level when you're talking about your own career and your own ambitions and the steps you want to take to ultimately get to that level. Um, so I, I'm, I'm sorry that, that you got uh, I, denied. <laughs> I totally flubbed it. I didn't give him. He's a, he's a very, very, very good guy. I didn't That's give probably him the busiest right. week of the whole year for him. It, it yes. was. And, and, and that is something even before I ever spoke to Ken or, or met Ken, I think if you've ever been at the winter meetings, it's kind of like a rite of passage to see him walking around and yeah. he's, you know, he's on his phone. I mean, it's a huge, huge week. And he's a, one thing I've realized just from, from emailing with him and, and talking with him a little bit is he's a, he's a tireless worker yeah. and, and you know, you can't be with, you can't be Ken Rosenthal and do what he does. And at the level that he does without just working your, your tail yeah. off. Right. Um, so I, you know, I got, I always, no matter what the industry is, especially in, in sports media or broadcasting people who, who just work really hard, even when you're at that kind of level, like he's, He's the top baseball reporter in the country. Um, he's on Fox. He's on the World Series broadcast. When you work as hard as he as he works, I mean, I, I got nothing but respect for that. Oh my know? god! So uh, walking up to John Hammond, not a problem. You know, walking and you know, being in my first. I'm a I'm a food service manager in, in your university for the day job, and I'm in the media scrum, and I have no problem. My heart's not beating. I know exactly when to say <laughs> something. Walking up to him, or just you know, a. Uh, 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 you know, it was just like I was so nervous. I'm walking, you know, you walk around and you see all these people. I'd never problem saying hello or hi or waving to people that I didn't know. You walk right. up to Ken Rosenthal, all of a sudden you're like frog in my throat. It's like you're talking to the yeah. prettiest girl at the bar, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny. It's funny that you you mention all that because you know I've I've been now around obviously a lot of minor league clubhouses, a couple of big league clubhouses. You know, the Padres during spring training. I was in the Astros clubhouse a little bit in 17 and 18 um, when I was with them and just kind of getting my feet wet and, and um, you know, got lucky to, to just kind of be up there for, for a few days and kind of see what it was like, which was a cool experience for me. And I do think being around clubhouses and players a little bit more and some of the big, big, big names, you know, and I think this is the way it should be when you're a broadcaster and you're trying to work at the big league level. Um, you know, I, I, now I, I, no matter who it is that I go up to, whether it's a media person or, um, or a player, I, I've kind of now learned how to like calm myself down and not feel, you know, starstruck, which, which I think is the way as a, you know, as a broadcaster, you should be, you know, and kind of, I think, I think, especially when you're in the minors, when you see guys go from double a and get called up and then they're in the big leagues. And then you remember earlier in the week, they were in Amarillo, you right. know, eating the clubhouse spread right. like everybody else. Like it kind of, I just think it, it humanizes right. them in right. a way that only you can, you can experience when you're around them so much. And, um, you know, you, you stop, I think looking at a lot of these guys 
as you know these superstar famous athletes they are 100 percent. but you you look at them more on the human level you know which i i think is kind of a a nice thing about being around it so much in a way well maybe next time when it comes back around in five years, five years. <laughs> so you got the job so so then you wanted to move into amarillo was it uh was yeah. it a new organization um what was it that really attracted you to amarillo yeah so you know i'll be honest when when I first heard about Amarillo and that being the new team in the Texas league, you know, I didn't think much of it. Um, especially that summer with Corpus Christi in 2018, even after the season ended, I was still in Corpus Christi in September and October. And you know, I had a, an initial conversation with the GM, Tony Enster in late September, maybe. And, you know, I, I wasn't taking it all that seriously just because I wasn't sure about whether it was the right move, would I actually go to a new team with a new ballpark, a new organization? Um, you know, there were a couple of other teams I was thinking about that I had had contact with already. I, I will say I was pretty sure that I was not going to be back in Corpus Christi when that season ended, and and that was and that was only because you know I had a great job there. But keep in mind, I was I was technically the number two broadcaster there. They have a, a terrific number one uh, director of broadcasting, Michael Coffin, who's terrific. Um, who's done some work with the Astros and has been there for over a decade now. And Mike is one of my best friends now. But, you know, even Mike at the time when that season ended, you know, we talked about it. And I think we we both looked at each other and said it would be the right time for me. It's kind of the same thing I was talking about right. earlier. I've got what I can out of this, even though it was a great job and I loved it there. I made so many lifelong friends there. Like I, I have multiple weddings to go to this fall in Corpus. Um but you know, which, let's I'm, hope. I, I'm, I'm already looking out <laughs> the flights, like see if I can get a cheap deal to go down to Corpus already. Um, but but you know, it was the same thing. Where like I felt ready to a move on and b have my own show, have it where it was mine. I was the director of broadcasting, and and that was it. So I had a couple of options during that fall and that winter. And as we got deeper in the interview process with Amarillo. And I spoke to Tony and I spoke to Shane Phillips, the PR director, and I, I got a feel for what was going on there. It became clear as I got deeper and deeper into it, I got more and more serious about it. And I looked at my options and I said, I, I think this is the right way to go. And that was, you know, I had a couple of other, not firm options yet, but things that I think were pretty good shots. Yeah. Um, but I said, no, I, I think this is the right thing. Sometimes you just have to go with that feel and that gut. And again, this is part of the luck of when I've had these moments of knowing it's time to move on. They've kind of sprung up. And I'll, I'll be honest. I said this the other day when we had Tony on, on our show. Um, you know, I'm driving down to Amarillo. Again, another situation. Have never been anywhere close to Amarillo. I've been to Corpus. I've been to Frisco. Amarillo's not to, close to anything. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Midland. I'd never been within, you know, three, four hours of Amarillo. I'd never been anywhere close to the Texas Panhandle. So, you know, I'm driving down there. And, and even when you make those drives and you're going down there, you're excited. But you're also, especially with the situation of being a new team, new stadium, everything new. I mean, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Right. And even, you know, I get to the ballpark and it's still under construction in late February. And you're kind of looking around that first week or two and you're like, we're, we're still in the office across the street. We're not even in right. the ballpark yet. And you're looking around and I'm saying to myself, I don't know if this is going to be ready. And there was, there was so much going on, you know, think about it. 
just a new, brand new everything. Yeah. There was so much going on. I had to build a radio and TV broadcast from scratch, work with our terrific video coordinator. Uh, I shouldn't call him coordinator or video production uh, manager. He's the, he's the head honcho of that room. Uh, Joe Corbacero, who's, who's terrific. And we've just done, he's been terrific for me and, and for the entire organization, um, you know, and created all from scratch. And also, you know, one, one thing that's, I think really, been a key in my career. And again, I, I think you guys know this just from social media and stuff. You know, I do a lot. I We host this TV pregame show every night. We do a lot of social media content. We do a lot of video. I'm very, very active with that stuff. I've always wanted to provide a value outside of play-by-play and doing the games. And I think that's tremendously important. I would recommend it to any young broadcaster coming up is don't just worry about your broadcast tape. Right. But worry about, especially when it comes to these minor league teams, worry about how can I create value? Everybody talks about separating themselves, right? Getting their name out of the pile of candidates. In my opinion, the, the real way you do that is in one way or another, you provide a value that most other people don't. And I think for me, the content video side of it, that hustle of it has been that for me. Anyway, that's a, a side yeah. note, but but yeah, go ahead. Well, and that takes away so many more of my questions because that was you're very active on social yeah. media, and I yeah. was kind of wondering. I mean, even during the season, you're you're posting videos and you know you're you're putting stuff on Twitter, and I'm like, God, he's we don't really we see some of that. Lake Oswego Storm are really good with it. Other minor league teams, yeah. and I follow almost every single minor league team in minor league baseball and they have right. none of the content that you put out, you know, obviously with some of the shirt stuff, you know, some of the other sure. promotion stuff, but like you're doing little videos, you're doing little segments and putting it out there. And even after the season's over, you're putting out stuff and it's just, like that's, it's, that's the new broadcaster these days, you know, now that we're doing, um, yeah, you know, for the Padres now, when the off season they came back with social with social hour, mm-hmm. the social hour thing a few years back, Sam was huge. As a Padre fan, they were having a pregame. Jesse was running it, and it was fantastic. And it right. went away. Um, and then the Padres, you know, we're we're pretty active on Twitter, and a lot of us in our community are pretty active. And the Padres are very active on Twitter. Right. And it was one of the questions. I don't know where I'm going with this, but one of the questions I kind of asked about during one of our social summits with the Padres is like, why don't the minor league, major league baseball teams play around with each other like the minor league guys do? And it's because it's so serious. Like they, you say one right. wrong thing and it's like, well, that, you know, then it gets to be a Twitter yeah. fight. Right. Well, the, the, you know, the Padres do, do a terrific job in, in a lot of ways. I mean, from the broadcast, I mean, I think Jesse and, uh, and Teddy are, are top notch, obviously, you know, Don and Mud are, are terrific on their social media side too. And on their promotional side, like Nikki, Nikki's I'm sure great. you guys have, have oh, met yeah. her or know who, who Nikki is. Uh, you know, Nikki does a tremendous job with that social media. They're super creative, super dynamic, super active. Um, you know, Wayne, I've, I've got to know Wayne a little bit, Partello as well, and they do a great job there. And, and a number of the, the others in that organization who do um, just a terrific job, like in, in so many different ways. And, and when you talk about, um, when you talk about the social hour, I mean, the idea of the sodcast came from social hour. Right. I mean, we saw what they were doing, bringing it back. And, and we basically, we do a, basically a, a 
kind of worse version of Social Hour. Although I do, I'll be honest, I don't think it's that far off. I mean, I think the production value <laughs> is is pretty is pretty darn good. Our guest list, you know, we don't we don't necessarily have this. Well, we got some stars, but you know, they get they get right. like a lot of stars per episode. It's right. different. It's big leagues, minor leagues. Right. Um, but but Nikki. Uh, Jesse, all those folks, Wayne, uh, they do such a good job uh, in so many ways. Eric Meyer as well, who I've got to know there and, and does a great job with their ballpark production and and handles a lot of the broadcasting elements as well. Eric has been super, super good to me and does a, a tremendous job there as well. And and we've tried and I try to pull things from that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that that necessarily answers. Yeah, the question, no, it was... But like but but like, yeah, the, the, to me, in a general sense. The social media interacting with fans, especially last year in Amarillo, yeah. where you have this super unique situation. You have this this really once in a lifetime in a team opportunity where you can facilitate that relationship from scratch and grow it. And not to toot my own horn, I think I did it in, oh, yeah. in a lot of ways, created that kind of special relationship between myself and the fans and and played a role in that relationship between the fans and the team and the organization. And, you know, as we got started there last season, I don't know that any of us that worked in Amarillo expected what transpired right. from the fan standpoint. I mean, they loved this team. Yeah. I mean, the crowd numbers showed it, uh, the social media showed it, everything showed it. And, I mean, you talk about me not knowing what I was getting into, it was pretty quick when we started where I was like, this is going to be really special. And we gained steam too. Like, you know, as we got into May and June and got into the summer, we were starting to hit our stride myself in the broadcast, Joe with the production and the in ballpark production and our MILB TV and, and our promotions and our ticketing and our concessions. And once we hit summer, it, you know, we had like that 23, straight sellout street yeah and that was like that was like the the a's and moneyball hitting their stride okay and it just being like one after another after another it was like that before the sod fiddles organization and i'm serious it was it had that feel to it um and and it you know after a after a month you know i i could just tell how special it was going to be in my mind went into the mode of okay i gotta i gotta do this right and you you go 110 percent, and you don't look back so, so what do you think contributed to bringing all that together? Because at first there was the name, we knew there was going to be a team in Amarillo yeah. and then they announced the sod poodles and people are kind of like, well, what the heck does that mean? And that one guy came out with a song, um, right. that, that just hit the ground running somehow. What, what, what do you think brought all that together? You know, I, I think when you look at it and, and you're right, when, when the, the ballpark and I wasn't here for all this, but when the ballpark got announced and the, the team name got announced, there was pushback on, on some of those things. And not everybody was a huge fan. Um, you know, I think a couple, a, a few things. One, this was a market and a region that had not had an affiliated baseball team in more than 40 years. Yeah. Well, Tony Gwynn was the last, was, uh, was uh, the, uh, was with the Amarillo. Right. Gold, gold stars. Yeah, was right. Gold Sox. 80, Gold 82, Sox, that's it. 81, 82, yeah. yes. I think. Exactly. So so actually, it's it's uh, a little bit under four decades, but around 40 years. It, it, it was a region that had not had affiliated baseball in a long, long time. There were a string 
of indie ball teams that had come and gone. They played at Potter County Memorial Stadium, an older building, which I actually got to go to late last year and check out. And it's a really charming older building, but, you know, it's not what Hodgetown is, you know, a, a brand new state-of-the-art facility. The people here are tremendous. They're big-time sports fans. They were ready to support something yeah. really good and something like this. And they're tremendous people. They love baseball. And then I think there was also a snowball effect because when people came, it's almost like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. When people started coming to the games and started experiencing and understanding what it really was, you know, word got out pretty quick. And by, you know, the, the I mean, we had a great first homestand, but by the second homestand, third homestand, I mean, it was the talk of this town. It was the story of the year in this region you could not go anywhere without there being sod poodles gear. We could not, you know, go out after a game, go grab dinner or, or whatever, go hang out with the, the other broadcasters in town without literally walking into a place and seeing tons of Saudis gear. It was crazy. It was like Saudis fever. So it was um, it was cool. Like, I just think it had that when people and, and the ballpark was beautiful. The organization from top to bottom did a great job. Our in ballpark experience was everything you could have wanted it to be really from the get-go and i think you combine a really good organization a great ballpark a top-notch team and this community for whatever reason was just ready to embrace it and, and they did in in you know in a way that i don't think any of us truly expected and you got a ring yeah and i by the way i should say you know i say that nobody expected I think certain people did. Like, I give a lot of credit to our general manager, Tony Enser, who, you know, I think he did expect that this would happen, that it would transpire like that, that the bond between the community and the team and the ballpark would be so strong. And I give him a lot of credit because he he and the Elmore Sports Group and the people who brought the team here, you know, you don't invest in that type of project unless you know that it's right. going to be right. a smashing success. And it was, so all the credit to them. Right. Well, and, and real quick, and I want to go on to your relationship with Welly and I want to talk about the pointy boots and the championship yeah. ring, but it's also the name of the name of the stadium is Hodgetown. So even though naming of the building has a connection to the city, most of the time, you know, what, yep. what do you have in Corpus Christi? I think it's Whataburger Field. Whataburger Field. Whataburger Field, which will be a question later on in our little Corona question section. But We were just talking to Michael Cantu about that <laughs> just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Texas boy. Um, and, and so, I mean, you just have, it's all rooted in Texas and rooted in in the region. And we've had Tony Enzer on the uh, podcast a back before it even opened and we talked about the name. Um, we had right. the Brandios guys on, and they talked about the pushback that the community gave. They got death threats when they when the El Paso Chihuahuas were named the El Paso Chihuahuas. They said, we got death threats. And it's now, Chica was one of the most iconic names. And Ruckus now, they sold gear. I loved watching this last year when they were selling another state. Idaho picked up sod gear. Oh, Rhode Island. They had every state in the union picked up sod right. pools gear. And they posted that. And that's just... That's what I love about you know the minor league baseball. That's what I love about the branding of it, and it is it's Saudi's nation. So you guys got the so did you get a ring? Can you can you show, I did. Can you show, yes. us, the can you show, show us the yes, ring? Can show us? Yes, I have to. I have, to go in my, uh, <laughs> I have you. Uh, hold on, I have you in my AirPods. Yeah, well, we. I was. The, I watched the Zoom meeting uh, via Facebook or on Twitter, and I watched that uh, with Tony giving the the rings away. Right. 
I didn't I, know that they even did that for minor league championships. Is that an unusual thing or is that is that common? That they get retro uh, play? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's common. Yeah. I think I okay. think generally well, I think generally at least I can't speak for what everybody does as far as their organizations and the people, you know, in the front office and things like that. But I think pretty, pretty generally you get rings. Um, so here it is. Yeah. The listeners can see it. I mean, you can see it. It's pretty nice. Yeah, it's nice. I posted really a picture nice on Instagram. Job. Yeah, it has some, it, it's on, uh, yeah, it's on my Instagram and it's, it's all over the place online. All the players posted it and whatnot. So that thing looks really pretty heavy. Yeah, it's big. They did a they did a dynamite job. So um, with a nice a, wooden a cool case thing to have. Yeah, it's a cool thing to have, and it's something to to remember a, a special year in a lot of ways by. So no, I'm, I'm thankful I got one and uh, has my name on it. So it's, it's pretty cool. You know, and so did you guys have uh, did you guys have things planned? Uh, you you need to plan a, the ring presentation ceremony, and and was there promotions related to that? Yeah, I mean, on I believe I'm actually I'm pulling up the article right now with the uh, with the promotional schedule on I believe opening night there yeah opening night April 16th replica championship ring giveaway so that was you know that was uh, scheduled on opening night um, yeah there there were a lot of different you know banners and posters and obviously. Anytime you win a championship that next season, you're going to have a lot of promotions related to it. There was all over the promotional schedule and uh, and bobbleheads and and all kinds of cool stuff, which I'm sure we will we will have at some point um, when that point comes. And um, yeah, no, but we had all all kinds of stuff. And and you know, the the virtual ring ceremony was a really cool and creative idea to have something special as we could. I, I think. I think the organization just wanted to to do something because it was getting, you know, so deep into April and May, and and you know we got the players the rings and wanted to get it to them, and and um, you know just with the uncertainty of everything going on, so they did it right. You yeah, know, I'll, I'll say this about about the the ball club and and the front office. They they do a lot of things right and are creative and aren't aren't afraid to do things out of the ordinary. Like it was funny the other night, um, you know, people were tweeting or I think the nationals tweeted or maybe not. I, I don't know if it's the nationals or a reporter and it, it's not a big deal. I don't mean to make this big deal than it is, but that it was the, it was the first ever virtual ring ceremony. Right. And the sod poodles tweeted. No, it's the first major league. Right. Virtual ring right, ceremony, right. 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 <laughs> not the first ever professional baseball ring, virtual ring ceremony. Um, so in a way, the sod poodles, you know, they do stuff like that before even the major league. The pioneers, teams. right? Pioneers uh, and Brooke. right, right. So, um, yeah, we we had uh, you know a lot of promotions on that original 2020 schedule having to do with the championship. Um, but look, whenever we get back to baseball here in Amarillo, I am sure that a celebration of the championship, the raising of the flag, all of that will be done, and yeah. and. Uh, will be will be just as special, if not more special, because of everything that's gone on. Yeah, it's ab- absolutely. And then they, you know, this year they were going to come out with their their Copa de Division, uh, the pointy boots gear, and they were going to have that. It's kind of. I can only up. imagine the fun that they would have with the pointy boots. Uh, oh my god, the the boots with the with the video and the dancing. I want to talk about you. You're like, I, you know, Philip Wellman is mm-hmm. is just. You know, he's this legendary manager. I mean, he's been around forever. And 
you know he's grizzled like uh, you know he from what I've been told what we've read and what I kind of glean is he will tell the players like this is he's where he needs to be double a like either you're going to get it or you're not so you need to do exactly what I say or you're right. you're just not going to be able to perform or you're you're not going to make it but he seems to have this really like big uncle maybe a dad figure to you where you know, you posted the video on the on the on the uh, on the taking grounders and, and, and hitting. I'm sorry. This stuff. This is the stuff I love. You know, hitting the ground uh, the grounders with the fungo, and he's kind of tweeting stuff back at you, and it's kind of funny. Talk about your relationship with him, because it, it just. You know, he, he's such a he's he's not the figure that you would think he was with you. He's like he's much more gruffer. And what's interesting is that I didn't know philip wellman before last season i knew him from san antonio in 2017 and 2018 when i was with corpus christi in fact my last memory of welly before joining amarillo and and meeting him really for the first time at spring training last march um you know was was san antonio beating corpus in the division series in 2018 (laughs) and coming ironically coming back from down 2-0 um in that division series like like the sod poodles did a year later, yeah. which, you know, which I, I always say now is the, the hallmark of a, of a Philip Wellman led ball club is you got to trail two nothing in the Texas league division series and then win three straight. Um, you know, well, is a tremendous guy. He is an unbelievable baseball man. So much knowledge, so much experience, so well respected and liked by his players. I mean, you, you can't find you know, a minor league manager or a manager period whose players don't speak, you know, more highly than they do with Philip Wellman. Right. I mean, you know, find a, find a player and they love playing for him. And and I think it's because Welly lets them do their thing. He's not overbearing. Um, he's going to let you play. He's going to let you mess up. He's going to let you succeed. And if he needs to step in and have that instruction, have that guidance, then he will. But he's a he's a player's manager, in in, in my opinion. Um, and you know, Welly, Welly, I think to a lot of people, you know, has kind of that gruff exterior and, you know, he's an old school baseball guy and, and, you know, he's always on the top step of the dugout and he gets into his arguments every now and then, but he's a great man. And he, he cares deeply about his players. He cares deeply about people like me yeah. that are around the organization and around the clubhouse. And, um, you know, I've talked to him at least once or twice a week you know, for most of the off season and certainly now, um, you know, since, since everything is kind of transpired with the, with the coronavirus situation now, and he's just a great guy and care, you know, we have a great relationship because, you know, he respects me. I respect him. Um, you know, he, he cares about me in that, in that, uh, in, in just a, a really special and cool way. And I've got to know him and his wife, Monty, who's, who's tremendous, um, his kids, and, uh, and, and have got to just really know his family. And he's, he's, uh, he's just a, he's just a, a great man on and off right. the field. Right. And, um, you know, and just, you know, th- there's nothing I miss more right now than going down to the office, whether down to his office, whether we're at home or on the road and just hanging out and talking about the game or whatever else. And, um, you know, that, that's what I really miss right now is that is, are those experiences right. and, and to me, that's what baseball season is. That's what it's all about. But, um, you know, to put it to put it in a short way, because there are a lot of words and 
and and things I could say about Welly. He's just a, a a really thoughtful, good guy on and off the field, and and he he's treated me uh, exceptionally. You you've got. Like you're like the odd couple. I, I really think you guys should do a mm-hmm. you know, next season some kind <laughs> well, of like the more so, kind of way with you asking the question and well just like look at him. So here's the, so let me give you let me give you the secret, okay? Because every every team I've ever gone to, whether it's the Cape League, whether it's uh, whether it's an indie ball or Corpus or Amarillo, I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you why I've always had a really good relationship with every manager and, and coaching staff and and the players too. Is because I just own it. I just own that I'm like this nerdy kid walking in. Like I ask a ton of questions. Uh, you know, that's just like me. Like I just own it. I don't try to be something different. I just walk in. You know, you. And here's the thing. And this is key for broadcasters and a lot of people in baseball. You got to be able to kind of, you know, take the you know what and take right. the take the ribbing <laughs> and you know let guys make fun of you and also by the way right. know when to kind of like dish it back and right be quick. right 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 um and you know i think if you're able to laugh at yourself and um i think a good broadcaster quite honestly you know that's part of the job is creating those relationships and and in certain ways i mean you know with both players and coaches is is you know yeah there's a line because you do have to talk about them every night and when somebody commits an error or makes a bad play, you have to be able to say that. But the reality of the minors as well is that you also have to get on the bus with these guys and travel 12 hours and get out at the gas station at 3 a.m. and get a snack and and sometimes stop at the Cracker Barrel and you might be sitting at a table with them. Things that just don't happen in the major leagues. Um, that's the bottom line. So, you know, I think on one hand, you need to toe that line um, between being a pro and keeping that that level of distance as somebody who covers the team. But there is a reality when you are the lone broadcaster and the lone non-coach, non-player that's traveling and you're with the team every day. In a way, you have to kind of be a friend, too, yeah. and, and accept that, that that's just part of what it is. And I think part of what makes working in the minors so special in a way. Okay, we're about an hour in. I'm going to ask for a nightmare broadcasting story, and then we got some corona questions, some quarantine questions, and oh. we'll get you out of here. So give us a nightmare. Uh, you know, I, I, I see that you have to build your own audio every game, right? You put your little your little mixing board up. I saw you take pictures yep, of it. Yep. Like you had an overnight drive one night, and you're like, I'm here in the morning, setting up for <laughs> the game, 1 o'clock game later on this afternoon. Yeah. Um, so that's that's not – hard i mean that's like part of being a minor league broadcaster um i have a if you ask anybody in the texas league my joke is is always i got a big well actually um, i shouldn't if he listens to this he's gonna he's gonna be mad so i'm not gonna say it was mine it was actually michael coffin he would go big league this this is a big league setup i mean it's big league so i'm you know everybody like i have this i have ten thousand pieces of equipment way more than we need and i'm like god like this big league i mean you know god anyway um but that's not that's not a hard part. That just comes with with doing it. Um, you're you know there there is no on site engineer. You're the right. broadcaster and the engineer. Um, I would say you know I haven't had any broadcast nightmares. I mean you have tech issues and things. I'll say one of the biggest errors I ever made on air was with uh, was with the Grizzlies. I remember we were at Southern Illinois in Marion, Illinois. I don't remember if it was 2015 or if it was 2016. And for whatever reason, I just 
it was probably one of the biggest on-air mistakes I've made where a new right-hander came in, and it was after the starter had gone like seven innings. We hadn't had a pitcher. We hadn't had a pitcher like pitch into the eighth inning all year. And I don't know what was going on in my head, but I was looking at the field, and I kept thinking that the starter was still in when it was actually another right-handed reliever who had come in. So the whole (laughs) inning – I'm not only saying the wrong guy in, which, you know, nobody listening is really going to know anyway, although not something you want to do, but I'm going on and on and on about, uh, you know, Johnny Williams has gone where no other Grizzly in 2015 has gone before (laughs) eight innings of one run ball. And then I find out literally after the game, I'm looking at the box and I'm like, whoa, wait, I literally go into the other broadcasters booth. I'm like, Hey, this is wrong. It's like, no, he came in. And then I go to the official score after. And he's like, no, he came in. And I talked to our manager. He's like, yeah, that was, I don't remember who, like Jordan Wellender. And I was like, I was like, how did I miss that? And my manager is like, I don't know. Like, don't ask me. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you're an idiot. So that was, that comes to mind as like a horror story. Like you don't, you know, people, people, people who don't broadcast always ask, oh, do you ever make any mistakes? And it's like, never make any mistakes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I make I make mistakes every night. It's a good night if I make like less than you know dozens of mistakes. So, um, but you try not to make big mistakes like that. Right. Um, and that was one. So that's that's like yeah. my top one that I can think of. <laughs> All right, so let's get some quarantine questions and get you out of here. We Sam, we we once again long overdue. We're so grateful that you had, you gave us the time. And, and then pushed it back a half an hour so me and my wife can go on a hike and I can get all sweaty and just a mess. Um, have you gained any weight? No, not really. Uh, um, I've gained maybe a pound or two or three, but not much. I've fluctuated. I'm sitting, I'm sitting like low 160s right now still, which is, which is good. So not much. What's, your, what's your comfort food? Comfort food. I, I love pizza. I'm a New York boy. So my comfort food would be, I'm going to get very specific and I've said it before on other things. My comfort food would be a chicken roll or ziti slice from pizza place in Hewlett, New York. Uh, no doubt. Have you taught yourself anything during this time? Um, not really. I, I'd had a couple of goals that I haven't got to yet, which maybe I'll get to later in the summer. Um, one goal, I, one, one ambitious thing I was thinking about learning was going on code Academy and trying to learn some basic coding stuff and language. Okay. Um, I don't really know why I wanted to do that, but I think it'd be a good skill to learn in general in life in 2020. So that was like one thing, but not, oh, oh, hold on. I take everything I said back. You know what the number one thing I've learned? I've, I am cooking. Yeah, I was going to say. Okay, I was going to be Okay. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot this. I Today I made grilled cheese. Last night I made chicken uh, tacos with a bell pepper, jalapeno, onion mix. Oh. I am cooking. I, I am doing types of cooking, and it's not very intricate. I am doing types of real cooking with real meat and not pre-prepared that I've never come close to doing in my life. So that is a hundred. Yeah. I take the, the coding answer is like a, a pipe dream. The cooking, that's a real answer. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be fancy, but that sounds really good. And we haven't eaten it yet. Was. So I'm getting hungry. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> what shows have you binged? Uh, I've watched, I watched the last dance, which I'm sure you guys did too. 
I watched nope. Waco. That that, oh, yeah. that was interesting. Uh, Waco was really interesting. I, I buzzed through that. Uh, I did not really know about that story, and it was it was really well done. And um, so Waco, I watched. There's this show. I have a, a friend who works at HBO, and there's a show that she's worked on named Betty, and it's about uh, female skateboarders, like a little skateboarding crew of okay. sorts, uh, in New York City, and it's it's really good. So I've watched that because she works on it. I think I'm going to go back and watch Entourage over. But honestly, I'm not I'm not a huge TV guy. I'm really not. I, I I'm a big music guy, big 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 music guy, big podcast guy, but I don't, I'm not a big TV guy. Okay. I don't watch a lot. So then what are you listening yeah. to? What are you listening to? Oh, I listen to everything, guys. I listen, I listen to a lot of hip hop and R&B, but I listen to a lot. I listen to a lot of country. I like Texas country a lot now, you know, like Randy Rogers band, Shane Smith, um, Josh Abb band, uh, Whiskey Myers. Um, I'll listen to a lot of Motown. I'll listen, like I love Sarah Bareilles. Like there's some random ones i love i love in sync um so there's there's like a lot of random stuff i love uh but i i stick mostly hip-hop r&b kind of that range um but i i listen to a lot i'm a big music guy like mo- most of the time if i'm sitting in my apartment me and my brother share a spotify account and he okay. always he he would say he says to me all the time he's like he's like I don't know. He's like you are always on spotify like always because he can see what i'm playing <laughs> right, right, right. he goes on and he's like, you are literally, I'm like, I know I, anytime I'm pretty much in my house working or during the course of a season, like on the road, I'm almost always listening to something. So yeah. Besides a cat or a dog, what uh, pet would you have? I, I've never really had, I've never had a pet. Um, I mean, your apartment looks pretty sparse. I don't think you have a plant either. <laughs> uh, there's, <laughs> we could get into that to the apartment. Um, see, see this, I'm going to share, I, I, if anybody got this deep on the podcast, I'm going to share a little a little secret with you guys, because a lot of people, and this is not answer your pet question, but a lot of people ask me, Sam, why don't you get a couch? Sam, why don't you get some furniture? You can store it. You can sell it. And what they don't understand is now it's part of the shtick. I can't get off the shtick. It's your okay? bit, right? That's this your is bit. My stick. This is the bit. This, it would ruin the bit. The whole bit <laughs> is that I take photos and it's my beach chair and my folding table. I can't, it's like it's like an SNL bit. I can't ruin the right, bit. Right. So so I say no. You. I'm like, I can't like admit that. But if anybody got this deep, now they know it's part of the whole vibe. One day when I, <laughs> one day when I get a little older, I'm a little bit more settled. I'll buy furniture and stuff. But um, the pet thing, I don't know. I, I'm not. I have never had a pet. Maybe I'd have like a fish. I don't know. All right. Um, All right. I I could see myself getting like a dog one day. But I that's like the same thing with the apartment and the furniture. I've got to be a little bit more. In one place, not doing this right. whole split year thing, which is fine, which I enjoy. But from the living standpoint, I got to be a little bit more settled in, in one apartment. Well, that's the nice thing about a fish, especially if it's like a goldfish. Yeah, you exactly. buy it for, for a, a quarter from the pet store. And At the carnival, it's time to yeah. move, right. then unfortunately, right. I mean, the circ- circle of life. I, I don't I don't know how if you were a, if you were a baseball broadcaster, unless you had a significant other who was home, you know, while you're on the road. Right. I don't know how you'd have a dog. I mean, you know, you're away for a week or more at a time. So maybe one day I think I like dogs, so I could see that one day, but probably not anytime soon. Okay. Whataburger or five guys. That's a really given question. Um, I, I like Whataburger a lot. I'm in Texas right now. Whataburger is a sponsor 
and I do like Whataburger genuinely more. So I'm going to say Whataburger. Um, Whataburger is good. It's the, 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 they have a lot of good stuff. Their burgers are good. Their, uh, chicken tender meals are really good. Their fries are good. I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the honey butter biscuit sandwich, which is the biscuit with like the honey sauce and the chicken tender on it, which you can get like after 11 PM or before 11 AM. That sounds almost like chicken um, and waffles kind of. It, it's yeah, it's a, it's a little it's well, there's no waffle, but it's a little bit like breakfast. Yeah, it is kind of like that vibe. Their breakfast um, burgers are really good. Yeah, I've had the I've had the melts. Um, yeah, Whataburger's really good. I like Five Guys too. I like Five Guys too. Um, I'm, I used to be a big Five Guys fan in high school and stuff, but I because I'm in Texas and I used to work at a place called Whataburger Field, and uh, I'm gonna go Whataburger slightly. What, what if um, what if In and Out entered the ring? I like In and Out too. I like In and Out too. I'll put I'll put Whataburger above In and Out for now. Um, I like In and Out. I I I go to LA a lot now. I was actually in San Diego um, in February, right. and um, I go to LA a lot now because my brother lives in Santa Monica. So I uh, so now I get my In and Out fix pretty frequently. There was also one in San Antonio. So when we used to go there. Um, when I was with Corpus, yeah. once in a while I would, I would go to the In-N-Out there, but um, but yeah, I, li- I like In-N-Out too. I know I, I get to have it like a lot now because I go to I go to the West Coast now pretty frequently to hang out with my brother. I by the way, guys, again not related, and now I'm rambling, and you guys want to eat, but um, the uh, I I love it out there. Like I love LA, I love San Diego, I love Southern California, I love our Orange County. Like when I go out there, it is just. It's vibes. I yeah. don't know what it is. It's yeah. just it's the vibe. Um, I love it out there. So you guys are lucky for living out there. I would uh, a big part of me would would like to spend some some real time out there uh, at some point in my life. I, I like it out there. Well, we love Jesse Agler, but if there was yeah. ever any any reason that he should leave, hopefully you can slide into his spot. Yeah, and, and Sam, you're that good. You're you're really. We listen to we listen to a lot of baseball, and I listen to a lot of minor league baseball. And I tell you. Our professionally grade broadcaster, and I think really oh, thank with, you with the Padres, all affiliates with Chris, with uh, with Sean up in Lake Elsinore, and obviously with uh, John Nolan in in um, you know in Fort Wayne. Yeah, Tim Tim Haggerty. Yeah, Tim Haggerty yeah. in Chihuahua Chatter that you probably inspired the Chihuahua Chatter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would um, you, no, you're you're right. The the from top to bottom, Padres and Padres affiliate broadcasters are great. I mean. John's awesome. Tim's awesome. They're great broadcasters, great guys. Chris at Tri-City is great. Sean is is great in, in Lake Elsinore, has been there forever. And and the big league guys. I mean, Jesse is tremendous um, and a tremendous dude. And, uh, you know, Ted is Uncle Teddy. And Don, I mean, talk about, you know, talk about having kind of a steal from from the Red Sox with Don Orsillo. I mean, it's just he's great. And, and you know, I got a chance to talk to, to Mark Grant Um quite a bit at spring training for the first time this year. And he was awesome. So, so top to bottom, you know, Padres all the way down to tri city. Yeah. You, you guys are all really lucky. It's a good crop of broadcasters. Well, man, we really appreciate you taking the time and, uh, we, we, you know, hopefully next time we'll talk, we'll talk more baseball stuff. You know, I, I had it on the agenda to talk about players, but we just got to talking and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, and you know what? And that's great. That I think about it. We didn't, we didn't, we barely talked to any actual baseball God. players, which is fine. It's, uh, uh, you guys talk, you guys talk about them a lot. And I do want to say before I go that, 
Um, I've loved the work you guys did. Like we were joking that I saw you at spring training last year, right. but I didn't know who you were and, and what Briars on the farm was. But I told you guys this during last season, your interviews with players during spring training, your analysis of the farm system, your coverage of the system for guys like me is, I mean, I listen to every episode, okay. you know, especially in season and, uh, it's, it's super, super helpful. And, they, and there are things that I learned about players that I did not know before I listened to the podcast and guys, we would get to Amarillo and, and we, we talked on Twitter right, you right, know, last right. year, like a guy would come up and I might say to you, Hey, did you talk to this guy? You got any yeah. information? Any oh, story? Yeah. Like, I'll give you a great story. And then I promise we'll get out of here, yeah. but I'll give you a great story that you, I think you, I don't know if it was you guys who originated it, but remember the pizza Mora, uh, baby rattlesnake yeah. story. Yes. That was Luis that, Patino yeah. was now, now did you guys get that out of Pete Zamora? Of he asked, he's like, Patino's like a baby rattlesnake. They don't know how that much venom they That was a, like, that was a post game interview, right? Okay. So great. So that is a great example. Um, that was one of my favorite stories of last year. And like, you know, Luis Patino makes his debut. I've got that ready to rock in my arsenal. Um, Hopefully I gave you guys some credit, which I may not have, but, um, but like that, like stuff like that, it's, I'm telling you, you guys do a great job and, and, uh, that stuff is, is invaluable for, for somebody like me. So I appreciate it guys. You guys do a great job. No worries. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So we'll, yeah. we'll talk to you soon. Yes, absolutely guys. Thanks for having me. 